This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at Altizen.com. A-L-T-I-Z-E-N.com. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Paul Papa Dimitro, host of the Layovers podcast. We discuss why the top Asian airlines such as Cathay Pacific and Singapore Airlines are in crisis and the major business opportunities arising from China in the aviation space. Hi, Paul. Hello. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. With the heat in London for once, not raining. Wow, I'm actually one hour time difference from you because I'm currently in Paris for the Le Bourget Air Show. Yeah, I'm very, very jealous that you are in Paris because the Paris Air Show is happening right now and I was supposed to go and I'm stuck here in London. So I'm very jealous that you're seeing all those planes. Well, but you're still the aviation expert that most people go to for your podcast. And I'm talking to Paul Papadimitriou, founder of Intelligence here and host of the Layovers podcast, which is one of my favorite podcasts on aviation with Alex Hunter. So Paul, since our last conversation, what have you been up to? Well, work-wise, always the same. I'm always consulting, you know, designing innovation and, and building experiences for our companies and startup. Been doing many things in the Middle East, in Asia, and in uh, Europe, obviously, because that's where I live. Uh, lots of clients, uh, not the point of this podcast today, but I also work with some of the travel and air travel clients as well. And of course, our little podcast that grows, Layovers. I mean, I, I run actually other podcasts as well. This one has been fantastically successful with my uh, dear friend Alex. And uh, so we're having a lot of fun and a lot of listeners as well. But I am a big fan of this podcast. So thank you so much for having me once more. And also recently in the Layovers podcast, you talk about some hackathon events that you are involved in with the airports and airlines, right? If I'm not wrong. Yeah, absolutely. So this was called Hack Horizon. It happened early May. We started in Hong Kong, actually. We were one of the partners was Hong Kong Airport. We even got a tour of behind the scenes. This was absolutely fascinating. Then we went on a flight with British Airways and a 380 back to London. That was a 12 hours and nine minutes flights. We had the entire premium economy. And then we landed at Heathrow, where, which was also a partner, where we continued doing the hackathon. And then we went on for one more day at London Partners here in London, before, uh, so I mean, there were eight teams that was formed. You know how a hackathons, you know, no teams were formed prior to the start of the event. There were eight teams. They all were pretty amazing. We had like really amazing people from all over the world. People from Brazil, Italy, of course, Asia, China, the US, uh, West and East Coast, and all over Europe. So it was really fascinating. It was a bright success. So I want to thank uh, on your podcast the four guys that ran the entire thing because I was a senior advisor, but I didn't. Uh, my hands were not. For 18 months, because it took actually 18 months to build that. So it was Christy, Costa, Johannes, and uh, I'll, I'll find, I'll repeat their names later on. So I want to, I want to thank the team for doing that because they were really, it was an amazing uh, success and a, a lot of people talked about it. Paul, today I have invited you because I wanted to discuss with you a very interesting topic that's happening in Asia about Asian airlines in crisis. I'm talking specifically about Cathay Pacific <laughs> and of course my home favorite Singapore Airlines, who I'm very close to and dear to. But before we start, I probably wanted to ask you, can you provide an overview of Cathay Pacific and Singapore Airlines and their core competency in the aviation space? 
Well, they, they, you know, uh, nobody wants to be called a high-cost airline versus a low-cost airline. These are traditional carriers, so high-cost carriers, if you want. We'll, we'll go into that today in this in this episode. Both are very fascinating airlines because they are, first of all, they are considered uh, probably the one of the both of the best airlines in the world in, in, in terms of quality, but also in terms of operations. They also have something in common, which is a very a large footprint, but a very small home in relative terms, you know, Hong Kong and Singapore, obviously. One, Cathay Pacific is uh, private. Obviously, they are. there is investment through various vehicles from uh, the state and from China, actually, directly as well, mainly China. The other at Singapore is, they like to say they're they're fully private, but they're actually majority owned by a wealth, a sovereign fund in Singapore. Obviously, it has operational independency from the state, but it is more traditionally like a flag carrier. So both are flag carriers, one de facto Cathay Pacific, the other one, the URA Singapore Airline. They're both, as you just said, are uh, experiencing like a new era. A Singapore for years and years and years haven't hadn't seen any losses, uh, which is, you know, for the first time, they actually had uh, these closed losses recently. Cathay Pacific just uh, also announced a round of cost cutting because they are feeling the heat from many angles, from, of course, low-cost carriers in Southeast Asia and APAC, from some of the Middle Eastern carriers, but especially the big thing next to them, which is China, we'll get to them, and uh, Singapore is suffering for similar reasons. Most of it, obviously, due to their, again, high cost legacy, but they are both still, because I don't want you people to misunderstand, they might be in crisis, I would say they are more into a period of introspection when they are revisiting what they actually are and what the business model should be. And just to give some quick facts, Cathay Pacific Airlines is listed on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. The CEO is currently Rupert Hawk with a market capitalization of 48.78 HK dollars, which translates to pay about 6.3 billion. And Singapore Airlines is listed on the single Singapore Stock Exchange with the CEO Go Chunpong with a market cap of 11.99 billion and of course they are owned by the state sovereign wealth fund Tomasic Holdings who also owned a lot of investments in most of the startup unicorns in the world that includes Grab everyone you know is all funded by Tomasic as you have pointed out earlier that recently both Cathay Pacific and Singapore Airlines have not done well and I think that Cathay Pacific has recently announced job cuts and Singapore Airlines have actually swung to a Singapore about $138 million loss and also will be undergoing a transformation. I guess I want to take the question a little bit deeper. What are the changes in the aviation environment that led to them in this current introspection mode and recent problems that they have acquired for themselves now? I mean, there's many, like I just hinted at before, there's many reasons, obviously. There's not a singular reason. You know, if you ask people, they will say, oh, but of course, their low-cost carriers are here, so why would I choose a high-cost carrier again? They don't like to be called high-cost carriers, so let's call them traditional carrier for the rest of the show. So that's obviously one of the biggest points in the past 20, 25 years within the emergence of companies like Southwest, companies like EasyJet Ryanair in Europe, companies like AirAsia, obviously, in Southeast Asia and APAC, and many, many others, uh, you know, all across, I don't, we don't have to name them all. This is one of the major biggest disruption because now people, uh, passengers, travelers who are usually very press sensitive can opt for options that are very much lower than these carriers. The other thing obviously is on the other end of the spectrum is the emergence of the three Middle Eastern carriers, Emirates, Etihad and Qatar Airways, 
whom I've also taken an approach, if you want, of travel, but ha by having a cost structure which is probably lower. Why? We will dwell on that also today. But of course, the major point here is they're simply younger. So they have less legacy. There's also no unions in those countries. They might have also uh, less cost structures and probably uh, as well uh, newer planes, which implies uh, also uh, less cost. So uh, this is the, the two angles. The other things also that have happened, though, it's the world that simply has changed. The expectations of passengers when they travel might have changed as well. Both Singapore and Cathay offer a very high-end product. As I said in the intro of the show, they're probably uh, considered the best, one of the best carriers in terms of the comfort you can get on board, whether it's an economy coach or premium economy or business or even first. They're like, not a lot of airlines still have first. They do. They both also were interesting, especially Cathay. They were, they introduced premium economy very early. So let's not also say that they have not realized that the market was changing, but they're still used to probably an era where, you know, corporates would pay their employees like I uh, travel costs for like, let's say, again, business class. This world is changing. The other thing that has changed, of course, is the adoption of technology. I would say, you know, like you and me and other people, you know, we travel and we want to have everything unbundled. We have to make choices on our app. When, where do we want to fly? When do we want to fly? And how do we want to fly? Do we want a menu? Do we want, don't want to eat in the plane? Do we want that kind of seat, et cetera, et cetera? This is something ongoing that these airlines are reacting to, but late. And something that happens to all airlines, not only Cathay Pacific and Singapore Airline, they also are a bit bogged down by legacy software. I mean, most people might not realize that the airline industry uses software in the backhand stuff that you guys don't see as travelers that is sometimes very old. And it's not just by snapping your fingers or creating yet another startup that you will be able to solve that. So all these things make it harder in an era where obviously everybody from corporates to the individuals is thinking about price is being very price sensitive. I will add one thing both for these two markets. They were the basically the innovators. They were the disruptors because they were you know, I, I said earlier in the show, at the top of the show, that uh, very small footprint in terms of geography, but very large footprint in terms of destinations and coverage of these airlines, because they realize, as the countries, one, one of which you're lucky to live in, that, you know, what is the competitive advantage? The competitive advantage is to have like a very business-friendly environment and we need to attract the people to come to have business with us and we need to send our people to have, make business with others. So they made this the blueprint of what became other companies like Emirates later on. They, they have the same type of blueprint. They were innovators. And now that's probably in terms of geography, they're not as lucky as Dubai because if you look at Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Qatar, Pretty much 80 to 90% of the world is at reach by eight hours. Being in Hong Kong or Singapore is not exactly similar, hence a bit more difficulty. And I'll finish with one point and then we'll debate on that is probably the management. I'm not here to bash any management, but you know, like any company that's been around for a long time might have some inertia. And in these two cases, especially in the case probably of Cathay Pacific, there's a lot of people saying that the people that work at Cathay Pacific have always been coming from Swire, which is the parent company. It's a conglomerate that has its ends in many, many other type of businesses. And probably having new blood from outside will also help. This is something they're now looking into. Singapore Airlines was 
always a bit better at this, but maybe there's also something there. Well, Singapore Airlines have not taken any foreign CEO before, actually. It's probably one of the few Singapore enterprises that have not taken a foreign CEO. This is very interesting because both airlines have faced intense competition, such as Emirates Airlines from the high end and AirAsia from the low end. Can you describe what Emirates and AirAsia have done that actually led to this current state? I mean, AirAsia, for example, has done a lot of work in ultra-long haul flights. And I think Emirates have made the business class experience of Singapore Airlines, but cheaper, that has also disrupted the Singapore Airlines premium flight business. Yeah, I will say one thing to introduce this little chapter first is that, you know, most people think in terms of low cost versus high cost, basically, right? We think about traditional carriers on the one end and like low cost carriers, whether they are short haul, medium haul or long haul on the other hand. This is usually the way we think about it. You have to meddle that reality a bit because what actually matters for airlines is the cost versus revenue, like every company. There's the one metric we, call, we called, you know, the cost per available seat per mile or per kilometer, depending on you want, if you want which uh, metric you're in, and compared to the revenue per available seat mile or kilometer again. So meaning it's the differential that matters, because if I give you only the cost, and not the revenue, then you might have this good, like, let's take, let's take an example. If I take United, United has been on the news recently for many, many reasons, usually bad, bad reasons. Their cost is around $12, $13 per available seat mile. The cost of someone like British Airways live in London is about $7, $7.50. And then the cost for someone like Norwegian, which is a very disruptive airline, is $0.05. Cents. So it's very, very low. But if I just give you this, you realize that obviously... Norwegian, thus companies like AirAsia, which also have very, very low cost structures, are very good at maintaining very low costs. The problem is that they also sell tickets at a very low cost. So it doesn't mean by definition that they are able to make a lot of money out of it. Hence, not all the low cost airlines that have been that have sprouted over the last five years, let's say, have survived because it's not just about making a low cost. The thing that Emirates has, that Qatar Airways has, and that Etihad have is obviously they are newer airlines, so they have a different cost structure than other airlines. What they do is they have, first of all, a very, let's say, tax-friendly environment, obviously. <laughs> uh, Emirates is a company that was also funded by, if you want, the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Dubai. So a very similar idea than Singapore, but years later. So they have younger younger staff, less cost. Not unionized staff, less cost. They don't have, they have younger fleet. They also have almost a dual fleet, almost only A380s and 777s. They still have the odd other uh, older planes, but they're them very, very fast. So it's also reduces maintenance costs when an aircraft is newer. And it also, of course, if you have almost only one or two types of aircraft, it also reduces, again, maintenance costs because you don't have to have various different uh, maintenance structures for different aircrafts. So this is obviously a few other things, of, obviously, that these guys got is uh, the luck of the geography. They, and this is very important, a company like Emirates, Dubai is not a big oil producer. So it's a bit of a myth that they get a lot of advantages of being located there. We can discuss, obviously, about it, about Etihad and Qatar Airways, but at least for Emirates, it's not the case. They're buying their oil there on the market like pretty much everybody does. And, and this is a very important point that I'll get back to when talking about Cathay a bit later today. So this is also, it does, basically, their cost structure is very low. The other thing that is important, and that's very similar from both Hong Kong and Cathay, both from uh, Singapore and, uh, and Singapore Airlines, and for uh, Dubai Airport, DXB and Emirates, is that 
the fate of these airlines is very much linked to the airport. Right now, for instance, Hong Kong Airport has introduced newer tax lending fees because they're building a third runway in Hong Kong and they have to finance that third runway. That increases the cost, obviously, for someone like Cathay Pacific that I think has more than 50% of uh, landing and departures from Hong Kong Airport. So they, it's, it's a big cost. They also, the Hong Kong Authority has also capped the fees that the airlines can uh, can make passenger space, which means that the only way for someone like Cathay to actually find other sources of revenues if they don't have access to higher fees is to increase uh, flight prices. There's also a big investment, of course, happening right now in uh, Singapore. You see it every time I land to Singapore. I see this big structure that is being built in the middle. Again, stuff that will also impact the cost structure of Singapore. And similarly in Dubai, Dubai uh, Airport Authority is building the second airport. You know, DXP is at capacity. There's no more room to grow. So they're being this massive, huge 200, 250 million passengers per year airport, which is not ready yet. I mean, you can see already land there, but it's small. So basically the cost structure here is different. What Air Asia and, and such companies have done, obviously, is very similar. They also rely usually on one or two aircrafts. So again, to reduce the cost, they have also very low cost structures in terms of staff because people, this, that's the same reality. It, it might be sometimes that your employees are not as well protected. Uh, we have something called, for instance, in the UK, zero hours contracts. So you basically staff waits and until they, they're being needed and when they're being needed, they're being called by the airline and they have to go. There's not a guaranteed time per month or week they have to work. Stuff like that. These cost structures are the reason why these airlines have succeeded. But obviously, at the same time, some part of customer experience. You know, Air Asia has a very good branding, for instance. It's very appealing since very young. Tony Fernandez is also someone kind of brash, and you, you want to be friends with him and have a beer with him. It also helps. It's like a bit like a Richard Branson when, when he launched Virgin, whichever Virgin they launched, many Virgins. You, it's this kind of feeling of being a young company and you want to be part of, and the staff will be younger, it will be fun. They, which will make you forget that actually the leg room is not that big and et cetera, et cetera. And as you said, very, very rightfully so, Emirates has done a great, great job in premium. So I'm talking about here business class and first because they don't have a premium economy, but that's coming in 2018. Uh, but they are also, because that's the thing, they are also now awakening to the reality of costs. Not that they were never, because it's a very well-run airline, but they have also announced that they're looking to cost-cutting. They have removed first class for, for some of their 380s. They're introducing, as I just say, a premium economy in some of their flights next year, probably. They are thinking of new receipts to actually add more cap capacity in each aircraft. So this, these are things that, it, that is all happening to every airline in the world. I will say, and I know that some people will disagree, but I will say that out of the three Middle Eastern carriers, probably, you know, Emirates is a more normal airline. Etihad might be receiving some subsidies, clearly. And Qatar Airways, it's a big question mark. You know, how, you, how much subsidies are they getting? But now they're suffering for other reasons. If anybody has, has seen the news, they might be getting in a, in a rough patch. So this is, again, it's really the cost structure versus the, the revenue. And Emirates has done a stellar job in the past 30 years of doing that. Will they be able to continue? I'm not sure. But what is certain is that on the other side, people like Singapore and Cathay will have to think of cramming more people into their aircrafts and uh, thus might actually lose a bit of this, um, you know, ideal of being like this great airline wherever you see it in the aircraft. Maybe at some point they will have to add more people, thus less legroom, less width for the seats. 
So in your opinion, what are the potential solutions for both Cathay Pacific and Singapore Airlines to turn around? Because they're so burdened with traditional cost structures as compared to the newer airlines such as AirAsia and Emirates. Yeah, the, the one thing here I will say, because it's very important because I didn't say at the beginning, the major part of the loss of Cathay Pacific was due or is due to bad, and I put that in bracket, bad bets on the hedging fuel market. You know, they're all airlines, especially those who don't have any access to a local market of oil, you know, they just don't dig a, a hole in the ground, have to buy oil, have to buy kerosene on the market. And what airlines do, they act as, you know, they act as financial vehicles and they buy with hedging into two, four, five, sometimes even more years in the future. What happened is that Cathay Pacific took bets on five years, so they set the price, you know, for five years and then lost their bet. So basically they had to pay back on these when the option these option matured. So they lost money on betting to the future. They've actually announced that they will now do only futures for two years and not five years. That's one of their uh, newer decisions. So this, meaning this is sometimes, I'm not going to say bad luck, but it's really hard to forecast what the oil price will be in two to four years. And airlines, the, the fuel being one of the, when you fly in an airplane, whether you're in an airplane, one of the major, the most, the biggest cost of you Bernard being in the airplane is actually the jet fuel in the airplane. So this actually varies very much and airlines have to think about the future. For the rest, as, as you hinted at, yes, they have to probably think about hiring external people that uh, fresh blood, you know, like startups, like you do, like work with corporates. I know you do stuff. You have to find people that diverge, not only people that converge. If everybody agrees that we are a great airline, that's not enough. I'm not saying it's that dire. I'm saying that they need to attract talent from outside, people that come up with different solutions. On a very, simply quote, the CEO of United, I know he's not very in fashion these days, but I think he's right on one thing. He says, we we have to get used to tighter seating. I think he's right because every single time an airline, whichever that is, tried to augment you know, the comfort of the seat, especially in coach, which is you know, the majority of seats in a plane, well, people were not ready to pay more for a flight. So at the end of the day, if they can cram more seats and the price of a flight is less, well, people will buy more. The fact which is the number of people in each flight on average will be higher. Shareholders will be happy. The airline will actually thrive. This is actually what United does. You know, they can be hated for many things, but they make a lot of money. I mean, they are protected. I mean, this is another debate. But the meaning that I think that Cathay and Singapore will have to rethink a bit some part of the comfort, sadly. I know it's a sad reality. Uh, but what they also should do is probably use more the technologies that are available to us to actually, you know, you will be cramming the flight. So let's find technologies around that makes your comfort and your customer experience, your passenger experience slightly better, which, uh, which of course is the use of everything mobile, which is the use of streaming Wi-Fi with all the little things that you'll say, oh, well, you know what, I'll be choosing this airline instead of another, because otherwise, Companies like AirAsia will eat the market. And let's say, let's, you know, Norwegian, I just mentioned Norwegian. Norwegian is opening a route from Europe to Singapore. So these are the airlines that soon people will choose to just think about price, no matter the quality. And then at that point, it will be too late for Singapore Cathay. So they will have to react. I still think, however, there is, there remains a market 
for companies like Cathay in Singapore because not everybody wants to be in super cramped seats. Not everybody wants to be in, in, in company in, in airlines that might not care as much as you as a, as a passenger. So this sounds very strange to me because a lot of my friends from outside Singapore love Singapore Airlines because of the seat comfort. So, I mean, in the digital world, we think about the best UI UX. People like Apple products because it is the most comfortable gadget to use. They like the iPhones before that. Why can't customers in that when they choose airlines care about the customer experience? Because sometimes for me as a Singaporean, I find that taking Singapore Airlines is just too expensive. If they just cut their price by 20%, which is more than the new upcoming airlines, they will still get the people to actually buy their tickets. The problem is that their cost seems to be getting so high that to afford a Singapore airline ticket is just impossible if you become price sensitive. Yeah, but I mean, I agree. But one caveat here, the, the issue with the airline industry as a whole is the margins are very low. So just saying I'll cut by 20%, again, you have to find a way to cost cut cost by 20%, which is really hard. Any airline, I'm not even talking only about Singapore Airlines, for instance, could be EasyJet. It's really, really tough to, we, we've seen the results of the cost-cutting programs of BA with all their issues they've been having in the past uh, three years, especially the last one with the IT thing. I mean, might not be related to cost cutting, but I mean, it's clearly going downwards and you don't want that for Singapore. The other thing, the other caveat is very big, is that you are at the mercy of the market. You know, when you choose a phone, you just say, oh, let's uh, we let's choose a phone between the Samsung S8 and an iPhone 8 when whenever it'll come out. And I know the OnePlus 5 that just came out or something. Well, you know, you can choose when you are at Singapore International Shanghai. There's a limit number of slots available at the airport, and you cannot have every single airline at that airport. At some point, there's a capacity limit of how many aircrafts can land and depart from that airport. I know they're all rushing to add you know, runways, et cetera, but at the end of it is a limit geographically of the number of, of runways you can have in Singapore. So meaning that it, it, it's not, the, the competition is not the same as going to any store and finding different phones. There's there's uh, a possibility of having too many airlines. The, though you're right, you know, at some point people make decisions with their seats, but that, as, as I said earlier, sadly, the reality is that most people think about price only when they buy a flight. I mean, I, I'm not talking about people that might be corporate that might get a business class or, of course, wealthy people or people that love their experience in flight and are ready to, 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 to put some money. But most people will only think about the price. So you, Bernard, you just said, I mean, I love Singapore Airlines firmly. Singapore and Cathay are amongst my favorite airlines in terms of the comfort, in terms of the quality of their service, in terms of the food, et cetera, et cetera. At the end of the day, I'm looking, I'm going three, four times in Asia in July. And Singapore Airways is, for instance, is always one of the, the airlines that we look at. They're always super expensive. I mean, no matter how much I love them, at one point, there's still the fact that, well, you know what? I might just choose another one because it's less expensive, no matter the quality of the seat. So I think that the solution will probably come as well with newer kind of seats. Paris Air Show, you might have some, but these, this is not a primary passenger experience uh, show. It's primarily an aircraft show. I mean, you've probably seen maybe the Qatar Airways, new Q Suite and stuff like that. But if you go to, there's a big trade in Germany, there's others. There are now also a lot of innovation happening in the seats, uh, finding seats that are much thinner, that allow more people you know, to be closer together whilst actually not losing that much space for you. They will be there, probably some innovation 
that will dampen a bit here the suffering i will i will say but most probably bernard the future will be that if you want to have some good legroom and a good seat you'll have to pay for prime economy or above which even companies like air asia are understanding they will also offer you a slightly better product if you're ready if you're ready to pay for it we will have to pay for more comfort full point at some point on the other end of the spectrum there might be there's been the seat designs for people semi-standing for instance none of these were authorized yet it's Ryanair that was looking into it I'm not sure we'll get there but if we ever get there there might be at some point also uh, regulations that come into play to say okay there's maybe a limit to what humans can suffer maybe some governments will say that maybe IATA will come together I don't know let's not forget that a plane has to be able to be evacuated in 90 seconds if people are so much crammed that they cannot move between their seats in, in a flight, you cannot evacuate a plane in 90 seconds in, in case of an incident. That's, that's the limit. Honestly, I don't know. I agree with you that it will be about the customer experience, but at the end of the day for airlines, sadly, people think price. Let's not talk about Cathay and Singapore from the context of some of the intense competition they're facing in the region. But there is a market that's about to be opened up because I know that China has been buying Airbus and Boeing planes and it's going to gear up to open up the market, which in turn setting up more domestic flights. I guess my question would be, how do you see the Chinese aviation market look like at least in the next one year? Uh, this market is amazing. It's the transformative market. It's, of course, you are the Paris Air Show. Everybody wants to sell uh, planes. They are there. They're Boeing, I think, forecast that by 2035, there's a demand for at least five to 7,000 narrow bodies, you know, so when you have a single uh, ale and maybe 2,000 wide bodies, you know, so triple sevens, et cetera. So there, it's a huge market. It's a, it's a trillion market. It's the first ever trillion dollar market. And it's and there's still so many people that haven't ever flown or people that have flown only once and want to fly again, because, you know, flying is something that gets addictive, obviously, when you when you do it. If you look at uh, simply at the air passenger traffic in China, I think that maybe what, 10, well, let's say 15 years ago, there were I mean, maybe 4 million people have, had, have ever had, you know, flown or something. And then suddenly it goes to like numbers of 400 to 500 million. It's just literally immense growing. At the beginning, obviously, most of it is domestic. Thus, the demand for the aircraft you just mentioned, but also demands for Embraer, for Bombardier, also in Mitsubishi, the new, the, the new one, you know, smaller aircraft, because not all the airports in China are made, I'm not talking about the runways, I'm talking about the facilities to deplane and board aircraft. And obviously the COMAC, they are doing their own version of Boeing on our Airbus in, in China, and that will be successful, I'm absolutely certain. Uh, I hate the naysayers that are saying, oh, it's a bad plane. I'm pretty sure it's an awesome plane and it will actually take off also very fast. So that's phase one, people flying within China a lot, a lot, a lot. But the biggest one, of course, for the rest of the world are people flying outside of China. And this is growing also super, super fast. But as you know, there's still limitations for visa purposes. This will explode at some point. I think it almost more than doubles every year already. I've seen, you know, I travel, as you know, a lot. And I see more and more Chinese. And I'm talking tourists. I'm not talking business people, which I've always seen. But tourism, I've seen in the most you know, remote places in Eastern Europe where I would never think about seeing Chinese nationals. I've seen them more and more. I've seen airports in Eastern Europe, in Southern Europe, where they have signs 
in Chinese now, you know, signage within the airport in Chinese as well. That tells you a lot about this market and everybody is salivating. So, yes, there is a big, it's a huge market that will grow like crazy. I mean, you know, some people say it might not grow as fast as it can. Yeah, because when you reach already like a half a billion people traveling, it might not go like a triple digit every year, but it will grow and there's a huge demand. The thing that is uh, important here for Cathay Pacific, this is why, you know, Cathay Pacific has a company called Cathay Dragon, which is the, the their airline looking into mainland mainline China. Air China owns part of Cathay Pacific as well. There were even rumors at some point that Air China would acquire Cathay Pacific. I don't think that will happen. It also would require the change of the Hong Kong law. But anyway, just to say that Cathay Pacific is also, uh, we mentioned Air Asia before, Emirates on the, the other side and others. And, and suddenly you saw speech Chinese cares that are coming up. And it's not the story, you know, another people who never travel to China have these very bad, you know, ideas of what Chinese airlines are. No, they are. Of course, clearly some Chinese airlines, you know, the small ones might not be, but I mean, come on. But they are juggernauts that will open up to the world, that will see more and more, and that will change the landscape of travel for us as well. I mean, five years ago, if I wanted to commute to Asia, I would have never looked at the Chinese airlines, so they would not, not even been offered on, on tools like Google Flight or Skyscanner, etc. Now they are. China Southern, China Eastern, or China, et cetera, et cetera. So they, the, the, the market is it's absolutely, absolutely immense. And I think it will really, uh, it will change the way we travel, as in it will suddenly have an inflow of Chinese nationals all around the world. And this is where everybody is salivating. And you know what? I welcome it. Here's the eventual reality. Do you think that the Chinese airlines will eventually crush all the other Asian airlines that includes Cathay Pacific, Singapore Airlines, Air Asia, within the region. Crush, I don't know. What I know is that because, you know, it takes time to build an airline, to make it quality, to have people believe in the brand and then choose them to fly, et cetera, et cetera. What is certain is that at least right now, Chinese conglomerates, Chinese companies have a lot of cash to spend. So they could simply buy them. They don't even have to crush them. They simply buy them. So that's something something that could happen. Will it, will it happen? I'm not sure, but it's, it could happen. Uh, what is also certain is that, you know, Cathay Pacific and Singapore pioneered this play of, you know, hub and spoke, you know, small geography, like one single airport going on all around the world. That inspired, of course, again, uh, companies like Emirates. What prevents, even if geography is different, what prevents a company based in Shanghai, in Beijing, in Guangzhou, to try the same play, to say, you know what, we're going to focus on one single airport and we're going to drive people from all around the world through our airport somewhere else. This could happen and this could they could find also maybe a very business friendly environment with very low taxes, with not a lot of unions. And I'm not here, by the way, to, dash the, to bash the unions. I'm just talking about reality. It could happen. It just takes one uh, or two, you know, visionaries, and China has a lot of visionaries, you know, great entrepreneurs to simply build that. So, yeah, they could crush it. I think most more likely, I don't foresee Singapore Airlines or Cathay Pacific being crushed. I don't foresee AirAsia to be crushed either. I, again, unless, you know, very big black swan events. But I see the Chinese becoming very big companies and maybe acquiring some of those guys uh, possibly in the future. Yeah. I know you do the Layovers podcast and one of the things I really enjoy 
on your podcast is about technology and innovation in the aviation industry. So I want to ask you this question. Any interesting solutions that might change the game for airlines other than seats? <laughs> well, there's many. I mean, first of all, I think one of the... <laughs> no, I mean, there's a lot of little things, you know, that change the other day. So for instance, just, you know, Level. Level is a company that was created by IAG, which is a parent company of Iberia and BA. It's a, it's a low, long-haul, low-cost airline. They just started. They have four planes. It's basically Iberia with a different name. They have one thing that is super cool. You're in the flight and uh, you can pair your phone with the IFE, the screen in front of you, and suddenly it's not about controlling it, it's that you can pay purchase stuff on the IFE through a card that is already logged in into your phone, Apple Pay, etc. These are little things that make the whole thing easier. When I was doing the, the Hack Horizon, the hackathon in the plane, there were some guys that came up with such brilliant ideas that actually airlines told us they were interested in. And again, IFE, you have the screen in front of you. You know, Usually you watch a movie or maybe a TV show, maybe a documentary. I mean, there's only so far you can, you can go. But there's more interactivity to be built between that and your tablet, laptop, uh, smartphone, obviously. And you could, let's say, one of the ideas was to say, oh, you, I want, I'm going to Singapore to meet with Bernard, but, you know, I have lots of free time. What should I do? Well, you can build a trip when you're on the air and suddenly have it transferred to your phone when you finish it. And as soon as you land in the US connectivity, everything is bought for you. So let's say I wanted to buy, you know, the boat to there and that this and that, and everything is actually pre-bought for me. I already done that in the flight. There's little things that, that actually change. Uh, the, the very big thing I think that we don't see that will change, of course, is uh, we just mentioned that there's a boom expected in travel which will mean that more and more of the major airports will be at capacity, will be crammed with aircraft, which is why we see a lot of these, you know, aircraft like 787s, A350s, probably in the future 797, because, you know, they can have quite a lot of people and don't take too much time to do a turnaround, so the time they are on the ground. But at some point, we will need extra capacity, so smaller airports uh, like uh, low-cost love or uh, extra airports. And we have like air control towers now, so you don't have any humans. Everything is sensors and everything is algorithms, and they actually can fly you at some point. You know, already uh, planes are pretty much a lot automated. I'm not saying that we'll have, you know, drivers less or pilot less planes tomorrow, but this is also coming. Uh, we will also probably get the big innovation for passengers, I think, will be a transformation of the GDS, of the infrastructure that allows you to buy tickets. Because, like you said earlier, very well, you were used to use a smartphone and I want to choose stuff. I want my smartphone in rose gold and I want my smartphone this size and I want this and this and this. I can, you know, you can have a menu of what you want. Still for airlines is difficult because they don't have the right software to do that. And again, I know startups try, but you know, it's it's a very industry-wide issue that will require a lot of standards because oh, there's always a lot of stuff involved here. The day you can be, you can go and press a button and say, I want this flight for only one, one way. And on this flight, I want this type of menu and I already want Wi-Fi. You know, these little options, amenities you can decide on, which some airlines are trying to bolt on when you when you book, but still most can't, this will be already a huge step. I don't it does I know it doesn't look like one because you're like, oh of course, I mean it's super easy to do. It's not, at least in the airline industry. And I, I think that will also change the ease of thinking about traveling, like last minute travel, press a button. So this is something that will change. Other than that, although I just mentioned IFE, uh, we know the, so the, the in-flight in entertainment for those who, sorry, because I've been using the acronyms since the beginning. 
summer lines are ditching it because it's too much weight, you know. So you will be, of course, you, for instance, you still already can go in summer in the US or in Europe. I think as well, I've seen that in Asia where they are streaming Wi-Fi and streaming content directly to your tablet. Simple things like that, that actually make the lives of the passengers a bit easier. There's been trials of having a, a virtual headsets, uh, you know, virtual reality headsets on your head. So basically you, you forget that you have a bad experience in the flight because you're somewhere else. I'm not sure that will ever take off, especially for safety reasons, but I mean, why not? I think right now, I don't see, you know, anything like too science fictionary. I think people still want to go from A to B to uh, the lower cost. So whatever amenity you can give them around is what actually makes you win, along with, of course, the brand, you know, the quality, the, the sense of safety and sense of welcoming. This is a thing that uh, people hate United for a reason. Uh, people suddenly start to hate BA for a reason, but people still love Norwegian. So at some point, you know, it's, you know, this is something that matters when you make a choice of choosing which um, aircraft you're going to fly. Paul, it's always great to have you on the show to talk about the aviation industry in Asia. And of course, I will highly recommend the Layovers podcast, but help my audience, how do they find you? Uh, well, so layovers, layovers.2. Uh, me, uh, just Google my last name. Find it's It appears on the show. It's impossible to pronounce. Papa Dimitri. Uh, I'm always, uh, that's very good for SEO. You know, I'm always on top. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Snapchat, Twitter. I mean, it's pretty much everywhere. As everyone, uh, WeChat, line everything i'm mostly active on on facebook and twitter being in europe obviously so yeah you can find me anywhere and you can ask me any question but please simply tune in to layovers.2 the layovers podcast simply search for layovers on any podcast app or on SoundCloud. there's so much more we could have talked about there's you know data and customer experience and we'll we'll do another show but if you if you like that kind of stuff we do that every uh, two weeks for one hour uh, it's great for a run uh, and i know that bernard loves the the show so thank you and you can find me at blongcw at bernardlong.com subscribe to us at analyze asia a-n-a-l-y-s-e asia you can find us on itunes stitcher soundcloud acast and of course tune in plus google play in the u.s market of course, give me a iTunes five-star ratings, recommend us on Overcast, and of course, at all times, tweet to me your comments on the show. And we have a newsletter, and please subscribe to our newsletter and follow us as the Analyze Asia site is going to be undergoing some big changes. So once again, Paul, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you, Bernard.